in this study of the book of Revelation. Thus far, it's been pretty inspirational and moving as we have looked through the first five chapters of the book of Revelation. And I will tell you, there's some very, very stirring things that are happening. The beautiful worship, there's a lot to be inspired by. From looking at these first five chapters, we can clearly see, according to the word of God, that it is God, in fact, who created everything that is, everything visible, everything that is invisible. We know that God, according to the word of God here in Revelations 1 through 5, is seated on the throne of the universe, brothers and sisters. Not a throne, not one of the thrones, seated, seated high on the throne of the universe. He is firmly in control of uh, the two realms that he has created, the realm of the heavenly things and the realm of earth. And he is in full control of it. Even as we move forward, we're going to see our God who has the last say in everything. God has the last word. God has the last thing. Nothing is going to happen without his approval or without him doing it. What hope and joy it is to know that no matter whatever happens, our God is in absolute control. It's why it's good to stand with him. It's why it's good to submit to him because he is Lord and he is in charge of it all. Praise the Lord. He loves us. He loves and he guards his children. And I want to say something to you. The book of Revelation is about to get uh, pretty intense here. Some of the things we're about to study are going to be intense to look at. But I want you to go out of here with this peace in your heart that your God is in control of it all. And you can trust in him and you can know. Again, I'm so glad because that brings me comfort. That brings me some peace in my heart. I'm glad that Jesus gave this revelation to the church of Jesus Christ. I'm glad that he appeared to John on the Isle Patmos and he said, I want you to deliver this to my church. And I know that Uh, The key reason Jesus did so was so that the church would not be caught off guard in the last age. That said, even if you're a believer, what happens to humanity during the last age is intimidating. Even if I have been raptured up and I believe in that event, the event of the rapture, the church being taken out of the earth to be with Jesus, the thought of people that I know, The thought of people that I love being left behind and experiencing what is going to happen on this world as as described in this book of Revelation is hard. It's difficult for me to imagine what some people that I love and know will go through if they are not ready. If they are not ready to be with the Lord. As I have been saying throughout this series Things on earth are not going to remain the same as they are today. There will come some really drastic changes. And I don't say that on any kind of study that I've done or any authority of my own. I say it on the authority of this book. It is predicted. It is prophesied. Can I just interrupt myself to say this? To you, every prophecy that has ever been given in this book, even prophecies hundreds of years before the occurrence, have come true. Every single one. And the prophecies that remain unfulfilled will be fulfilled. So I say that on the authority of this book, which I firmly believe. You're looking at a man who firmly believes that this is the word of God. 
And so I preach from that perspective. I come at you from that perspective. I don't want to hide anything from you. You got a Bible thumper here for a pastor, sorry to say to you. So that's who I am. I'm a believer and, and I'm not ashamed of saying that. So things are not going to remain the same here on earth. Last week, we affirmed our belief that Jesus Christ alone is worthy. We talked a lot about that. What a beautiful chapter in the book of Revelation. When we see this search throughout heaven of someone worthy to take this scroll from the hand of the one seated on the throne of the universe. And no one is found. And John weeps because there's a search in heaven. There's a search on the earth. There's a search beneath the earth and and all throughout the universe. And no one is found worthy until Jesus, the Lamb of God, steps forward. And he is worthy because he is the Lamb of God. And our attention today is again focused on that scroll, which, uh, as I said, first was in the right hand of the one seated on the throne, but now is in the hand of the Lamb of God who is holding it. And after this intense time of worship that we studied last week, the Lamb broke open or breaks open the first seal on the scroll. Look with me at Revelation, Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And again, as you're turning there, I want to remind you, it's a great idea in this series in particular to have your Bible with you. I, I try very hard to make sure what's projected is relevant and helpful to you. But for context, it's just difficult. I can't project it all. So have your Bible along. It will help you a lot. Let's read this from Revelation chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. A couple of verses. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bowl, a bow, and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. This is it. For me, this is the transitional moment from the age of grace which we now live in until the last age. I think that this is the pivotal moment when it happens. And if I can interrupt myself for just a second, I want to say this to you. When we begin to read about the events that are going to unfold when the seal is broken, the first seal is broken. And even though it ends the age of grace, God's grace does not go away on the earth. The Bible tells us that God is, and we're going to look at this later, is going to empower, raise up and empower 144,000 Jewish evangelists who will go throughout the world. And during the tribulation time, during a time at times when the church is not here anymore, he is going to empower them to evangelize and scores of people from every tribe, every nation will come to Christ during the time of tribulation. I want you to know that that's what the Bible teaches. God doesn't take his grace away from the world, even in this time that is an intense time of wrath and punishment. God is still giving his grace out. I interrupted myself. That's free. Okay, you don't have to pay for that. Um, But this is the beginning of the end. Everything will drastically change. And the ages long battle between Satan and our God in heaven will come to a head. The existing heavens, the existing earth will eventually cease to be. And a new heaven and a new earth will take its place. All of this will unfold in the last age. 
the last 12 chapters of the book of, or I'm sorry, the next 12 chapters in the book of Revelations gives us a look into what will transpire during the last age. And these chapters are full of symbolism. Remember again, this is, this is relying on the wisdom of earthly language to describe other worldly events and beings. It's coming to us through the filter of a man who lived in the first century. So he didn't know even what we know of technology. In his terms, his way of describing it, he did the best he could. Also, he was given representations to look at that represent things that uh, he will describe again as well as he can, but they're not necessarily the events. So I want you to understand there's lots of symbolism in this, and it comes from John. So you know, I'm not going to concern myself with attempting to put a timeline on everything that is here in the book of Revelation because I don't think Jesus' intention was for the book of Revelation to accomplish that. His intention, his aim was to encourage his people to endure and to trust and to not fear and to believe in him until he comes for us. That's his intention, so that the church is prepared for the fact that we are ramping up into the last age. So please understand that what transpires in these chapters of Revelation are not in chronological order as they appear in the scriptures. They're not in chronological order. John was shown representations, as I said, of what will happen in heaven and also what will happen on earth and the rest of the universe. There's a lot of overlap, overlap between these. There is some, the symbolic language mixed with actual phenomenon. In some cases, there are some representations of what already has occurred. And leading up until the last days. So we need to understand that this is not an easy book to to interpret. And I'm not going to try to make you an expert in eschatology. I want to give you the purpose of this book. Which is that we will be prepared and we will understand that things are going to be different very soon here on earth. In these chapters, some of the prominent symbols are the seals that are on the scroll, are horses and riders, are angels and trumpets that they blow, and bowls of judgment that are being poured out upon the inhabitants of the earth. There are other symbols involved here. Again, coming to verses 1 and 2 in chapter 6, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals, and then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. The rider held a bow and was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. I'll speak to you this morning on the appearance of a figure in the Bible known as the Antichrist. And this is he. At the dawn of the last age, a powerful worldwide figure, a leader, will appear on the scene and he will deceive most of the people who live on the earth. I'm quoting Warren Wearsby, a great scholar of the Bible here. Quote, Daniel states that there is a, quote, prince that shall come, unquote, who will make a covenant with Israel to protect her from her enemies. I don't, and that's found in Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 through 27. I don't think I would have to work very hard to remind you that when you watch the news these days and you watch the headlines today, the enemies of Israel are mounting. It's building. 
The animosity toward the country is building. And there will come a day when the Antichrist will sign a treaty under the ruse of giving them protection from their enemies and harm. Wearsby and other scholars assert that the one who is represented here in Revelation chapter 1 and 2 is a human being who will be in, possessed by and empowered by Satan himself. And he will rise to be the world's dictator and he will begin his career as a peacemaker. He will deceive the world into thinking that he's about peace. He's about making things right in the world. He will be supernaturally wise. He will be supernaturally talented and have a lot of charisma. He'll be able to perform what looks like signs and wonders, according to the Bible. Things that are supernatural, things that people cannot do. This person will rise very quickly and he will become a world dictator. That's what most scholars believe, and I believe it. He will begin his career as a peacemaker. This is a ruse to make a way for him to conquer the nations. Again, I'm quoting Wearsby here. He will go from victory to victory and finally gain control of the entire world. An article published by Active Christianity says the following about the Antichrist. Quote, the Antichrist is the opposite of Christ. Jesus, as Christ, came to the earth to do God's will. The Antichrist will come to do the will of Satan. He will be Satan manifested in the form of man. Just to interrupt that for a second, just as Christ became a human being and the spirit of the living God was in him and upon him and empowering him, just as Christ came from heaven to be a human being and took on the form of human being, Satan wants to imitate that. So he is going to empower and possess a human being. And he is going to give that person all of his strength, all of his might, all of his wisdom. And he is going to be able to deceive a great deal of the world. I interrupted myself. Let me catch up to myself. Okay. He will be Satan himself manifest in the form of man. Satan's whole ambition is to be like God in power and might. And he works for this with all of his might night and day. Second. Thessalonians chapter 2, 4 says this. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for the day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. This is the Antichrist, my friends. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. This is a a worldwide dictator by the time he walks into the temple in Jerusalem, which is in existence today. He will walk into that temple and he will describe himself and set himself up as God. He will oppose God and he will name humanity as the God. You don't need God. You need God. And that's how he will uh, set himself up. And he will have many who will look to him. Further quoting this article from Active Christianity, quote, his intention is to play, replace God and he will send the Antichrist, Satan will, as a means to do this. The Antichrist will deny mankind's necessity for God and assert himself as the ruler of this world. Brothers and sisters, that John saw a rider on a white horse 
coming out holding a bow and wearing a crown is in my mind consistent with the fact that Satan often imitates and substitutes the good things that God creates in order to deceive people. One quick example would be love. Love as God creates it is beautiful and wonderful and always virtuous and always a holy thing and always a good thing. But there's a substitute out there. I call it Hollywood love. It's very different from real love. How many people do you know in the name of love who have gotten themselves totally ensnared and destroyed? It's the substitute that Satan has offered to the world. You can have this. You can do this. Real love really has no substitute, right? Real love comes from God. But Hollywood has this invitation. And that's just one example. There are so many. All of this is produced by the devil to deceive and to ensnare people. He is the deceiver. And the Antichrist again will be possessed by him. It stands to reason to me that this rider isn't on on a white horse. Because in chapter 19, we we will see Jesus Christ riding on a white horse. Conquering. And there's, there's no real similarity. Very little similarity. I'll get to that in just a second. And he will carry a bow wearing a crown. He's trying to imitate what we will see in chapter 19. This is symbolic for the deception of the devil and his antichrist. The antichrist comes as a human. And he is given wisdom to solve many of the earth's problems. And he is given power and authority. The the authority and power that Satan has. He will give to this antichrist. And he will be able to perform miracles or signs and wonders. And he will come at first as a peacemaker. And most of the world will trust him. Most of the world will fall for his ruse. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 3 tells us that while people are saying out of their mouths has come in peace and safety, this peacemaker, suddenly destruction will come upon them. That's what we are told. The Bible speaks of a period of time that we'll look at next week called the tribulation. And it's a, a time of a period of seven years. And the latter part of that tribulation period is what Jesus referred to as the great tribulation somewhere in the middle of that seven years this antichrist will go from being a peacemaker to a warmonger and he will go out conquering as we just read in revelation 6 2 and he will conquer the nations and he will turn from a peace lover and a peacemaker quote unquote into one who destroys and kills and makes war the writer here in chapter 6 is an imitator He wears a crown, but he doesn't wear the crown. When we get to Revelation chapter 19, we see Jesus Christ. It's clearly Jesus Christ who's coming. And Jesus isn't carrying a bow. He has the sword of the Lord. Jesus has a crown on his head, but it says many crowns. It translates into that. It is a diadem crown that looks like it has several crowns in it. It is the crown. And Jesus may be riding on a white horse, okay? But this is not the same one that we see in chapter 6. It's clear that this man is an imitator of Jesus trying to deceive the world. Revelation chapter 13 gives a description of the governing system, the beast it's called, that the Antichrist will put put in place to rule the earth. 
that is synonymous, that term, with the Antichrist. Sometimes when you read the word beast, it's speaking about what he enacts on the earth. Sometimes beast is him. So that we know and we understand it. When you read through Revelation, you read about the beast, you're reading about the Antichrist, who is a human being empowered by Satan. He will hate any followers of Jesus Christ. And let me go back to this and say to you that the Bible is clear that there will be a, a, uh, a, a an uprising. God will bring 144,000 Jewish saints. And they will go throughout the world and they will be evangelists and they will powerfully preach the word of God. And there will be a revival on the planet. And there will be scores of people who hear the message. And they will understand that worshiping Christ will mean that they will be attacked. And that they could be martyred. And we'll look in just a few minutes here about the large crowd of people who will be before the altar of the Lord. Who have been martyred during this period of time. And so uh, that is going to be part of what happens during the tribulation period. And, and the beast or the Antichrist will hate followers of Jesus Christ. He will pursue them. He will wage war on them. He will take control of the economy of the world. And he will force people to receive on their bodies a mark that identifies them with him. And if they do not receive the mark... They will starve because they won't be able to buy or sell or work or anything. It will be a hard time on the earth for those who are remaining and who have not received the mark on their bodies. May I just quickly add that receiving the mark of the beast is a sentence to eternal damnation. Period. End of story. You won't escape. It's inescapable. The Antichrist is synonymous with the beast spoken of in chapter 13. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about what the Bible calls the spirit of the Antichrist. Second Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12 is a passage of scripture that reminds us that the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist has been on the earth and active for now centuries and centuries. Even when the Apostle Paul was penning Second Thessalonians, he said the spirit of the Antichrist is alive right now, working in the church, working in the world. It's What this is meaning is the philosophy of, the implementing of the things that, that set up the Antichrist agenda. It's already here. It's already at work in the world. Demonic forces for centuries have been working very hard to set the table for the Antichrist to come into the limelight, if you will. I'm talking about this, taking some time to talk about it, because more than at any time in my life, I see the effects of the spirit of the Antichrist in the world that I live in and even in the church. I see it in our country. I see it in our world. I see the spirit of the Antichrist is hard at work. The philosophy has taken root and is becoming more and more pervasive today. One of the great parts of Satan's deception, you can find the root of it in Genesis. It's the first time that we see him using it on humanity. It is when Adam and Eve are in a paradise 
living in such a beautiful place, it's hard for me to fathom. And they're, they're enjoying fellowship with the living God. God gives them one thing that they must not do. One rule. One rule. Don't eat from this tree. Eat any other, out of any other tree you want. Just don't eat this. And Satan begins to tempt them. And one of his ruses was this. Did God really say that you would die if you eat from this tree? And there he was throwing doubt into the minds of Adam and Eve. No, God doesn't want you to eat of this fruit because you'll become like him. Another ruse of, of Satan, the spirit of the Antichrist right there in the garden. Because Antichrist doesn't want God controlling the world. They, the Antichrist wants to be God. So all the way back. At the very beginning, with the first humans, Satan began his deception. And one of the most evident things that have happened in the last 15 years in my lifetime, as I have looked and, uh, and observed what's going on in our society, and I've encountered this more and more, is that whole thing of doubt. Is this really God's word? How do you know that the Bible is God's word? How do you know that your God is the right God? How can you believe in a God who is invisible? And today we have scores of people who are completely confused about what is real and about what is not real. All the lines that have been blurred by the lies that the evil one has put into our society and into our world. We don't know if it's God or Santa Claus that makes Christmas happen. And I can go on and on and on about this. But as I have in the last few years been in pastoral ministry, one of the the growing challenges for me is just to combat the lies that are coming from the world. There are many people in our country today that would look at me and think I'm a fool for believing in the word of God. And I have to say this as lovingly and as kindly as I know how to say it. I've got a lifetime of study into the veracity of the Word of God. I mentioned one key reason I believe it's the Word of God, because every prophecy ever given has been fulfilled and will be fulfilled. And it was given hundreds of years prior to it happening, and it happened exactly the way it said. I am amazed at people who can look at the evidence. I'm not going to go long here. Look at the evidence of at least some kind of intelligence to put this universe together. And they can look at it and say it happened randomly. And I will say to you, and this is not meant to be disrespectful, that's a level of faith I don't have. That it can, some by accident, somehow the complexity of all that is this universe comes together, just randomly sort of meets together, and somehow it happens without some intelligence behind it? And if there is an intelligence behind creation, who is that intelligence? The best that I can know, it is God. It's the one who authored this book for us so that we can know him and follow him. If there is a creator and he wants a relationship with me, I want to know him. And I'm heartbroken today as I encounter more and more people whose hearts are just clouded with confusion. And I'll tell you why it is. Because of the spirit of the Antichrist. Christ in the world. I wish I could look you in the eye and say, thank God that hasn't happened to the church. 
That would be a lie. It has happened in the church. You don't know how many people who are part of the church are completely confused and doubt the veracity of God's word. There are people who call themselves Christians and say, I don't think the miracles are real. What are you talking about? How can you believe part and not all? And so I'm struggling with this in my mind. But it is the spirit of Antichrist. There are preachers who will stand up and tell you that this isn't really interpreted well. It's We didn't receive a good translation. And so it really doesn't mean this. And the truth is so clear. And so I say to you, brothers and sisters, that's the spirit of the Antichrist alive. You have maybe relatives that you, I, I hope, are praying for. Because they walk around in a cloud of confusion about what is God and what is not God and what is real. And so that's the spirit of the Antichrist. And and the philosophy has taken root and it's becoming more and more pervasive. It has a stronghold even in the churches today. We're racing to the last age. So to quote again the article from Active Christianity. So impurity and sin are allowed to live. And mankind grows further and farther away from God, which is actually Satan's intention. The majority of the world has given over to his spirit because it allows them to live comfortably without a guilty conscience. This has been done under the covering of religion and forgiveness of sin without ceasing from sin. However, in the times that we live in now, humanism is more and more taking over the role of religion and uh, the, the role that religion used to play. Mankind is more and more reliant on itself and being governed, governed by itself rather than being led by any higher power. Just a little bit more of this quote. You could read it with me. All of this is paving a way for the Antichrist himself to appear and get rid of any pretense of religion. He will do away with God altogether. He will perform signs and wonders to prove to the world once and for all that uh, mankind is self-sufficient. Revelation 13, 13, and 14. Mankind is ready to embrace such a person. Someone who does not interfere with their comfortable lives, who will be a force outside of themselves to realize their thoughts and dreams of peace and harmony on earth. A world of tolerance, love, and goodwill without any personal cost to themselves. And the Antichrist will be able to accomplish this. Let me just read something to you as we continue in Revelation chapter 6. Because accompanying the Antichrist will be these. Let me read beginning with verse 3. Revelation 6. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and make people kill each other. To him was giving a large sword. There's the war that I talked to you about. And the Antichrist is an agent of the Antichrist and of the devil. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. I'll interrupt myself to say the Antichrist will take over the world's economy and it ain't pretty it'll take a day's wages to eat a meal a day 
Verse 7, when the Lamb of God, or when the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. Listen to this. They were given power over the fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, and plague, and by wild beasts of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, well, let me stop there and just say, a fourth of the population of humanity. Seven billion or more people on the planet. And a quarter of them taken away in this war. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar. And these are the souls that I spoke to you about. The souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. And the testimony they had maintained. They called out in loud voice. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, will you judge the inhabitants of the earth. And avenge before you do uh, to, to avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe. And they were told to wait a little longer. Until full number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. And when John was asked, who are all these souls? The, he said, I don't know, Lord. I don't know who these are. And he was told, they're the ones who were killed in the great tribulation. And so there is a great vast number of people who will be taken. So with all that information I'm giving you today, what should our response be? What do we do with this? I mean, this is heavy stuff. I would suggest to you a few a few things and... I would suggest we start here. Let's reject the spirit of the Antichrist. Let's stand up to that. The name of the Antichrist has been synonymous with evil down through the ages. But the truth is that when he is finally revealed, the majority of people will not recognize him as the Antichrist. He'll not appear repellent. On the contrary, he'll be someone who is talented and ambitious to solve the world's problems. And he'll advance what is already in process of becoming a reality, a one-world government. The world will believe that the Antichrist, if he is at the helm, will be a good world. Mankind can accomplish anything if he's at the helm. Revelation chapter 13, verse 6. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name as tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. When that happens, then Satan will finally have what he has always wanted. He will be seen as equal to God. And he will have control of the world that has no need for God. Church, the spirit of the Antichrist the philosophies of it, the ambitions of humanism, the indoctrination of our students in the world is already here. And I want to say this to you kindly, lovingly. It's going to succeed. It's going to happen. The Antichrist will rise. The world will embrace him. So that's going to happen. But here's the good news to you. Not one thing or one person can force you to yield to that philosophy or the spirit of it. What I am saying to you is the spirit of the Antichrist has been in the world. And you don't have to give in because my Bible tells me no one can pluck you from the hand of your father. As I said earlier, many are confused. I spoke to a concerned parent just this week about her child being led away by doubt and confusion. There's a lot of it there, but we don't have to be. We can resist it. You and I can honor the true Christ by refusing to adopt anything having to do with the Antichrist. And that won't be popular. 
Even again, within the church, there are things that are coming out. And and some of the church is calling what God calls evil something good. And what 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 is good, what is holy, is being called evil. You're going to be called names. You're going to be maligned by the spirit of the Antichrist. And those clouded and confused by it. But you can refuse. You can reject all of that lying. You can reject all of those things and cling to the word of God. You're allowed to do that. Here's the good news. Nobody can wreck your relationship with God but you. And so nobody can force you to believe what they believe. Nobody can make you say what is wrong is right. And I say that, and I'm not saying you do it arrogantly. I'm not saying you do it condemning people. I'm just saying it's all right to stand on the word of God. It's okay to believe that God created the heavens and the earth. I know what scientists say. I know what they teach about. But the Bible says something else. I'll choose the Bible. And I don't apologize for that. You don't have to dishonor the Lord by acquiescing, by compromising. And we can do this lovingly and righteously, but firmly. We can reject the lies of the spirit of the Antichrist alive today. We can hold on to our belief in Jesus, his word, his way. And we can do it while loving others the way Jesus loves them. I'm not mad at any people. My heart breaks for the confusion and darkness that they walk in. We can turn away from the trappings of the Antichrist philosophies and we can reject it and we can follow Jesus I would suggest to you church that part of our response needs to be ministering to people and if there's ever been a day when this world needs church I'm talking about the ones who will tell the truth if there's ever been a time when the church needs to teach and preach the word of God it's today they need the truth Too many people are being dragged away by the lies. So we must boldly and lovingly preach the truth to lost people. Listen, God doesn't need defending. I promise you, he can defend himself. The truth needs defending, though, in this world. Because there's so much darkness and so much confusion. And so many people convoluting the truth. It is the truth, though, that sets people free. And people need to know. They need to know about Jesus. They need to know about the Lamb who is worthy. They need to know that he's the only one. And we must care about the fact that they're lost. And it needs to affect us. It needs to matter to us. And we need to do what we can to rescue lost people. We have to care that people are being lied to and are falling into the traps and the snares of the devil. It's the spirit of the Antichrist leading our youth away, leading our people away from God. We have to stand and tell anyone who is willing to listen that people can be right with God and they can be freed from sin and they can have a relationship with their creator and we can can show it to them. We can live it out and we can show it to them. For as long as we are on this planet, we, the church, must minister to people, all people, regardless of who they are, what they've done, where they've been. We must love them and and pour out the love of Christ upon them. Let me tell you something. When Christ found me, I was a wreck. I wasn't worth loving. I wasn't worth anything compared to the greatness of Christ. It didn't stop him. He sent people into my life. It was a church. It was the church that gave me the gospel. 
And I learned about Jesus and the trajectory of my life turned completely around. And I praise the Lord for that. I thank God. It's all because of that. All because somebody cared. Somebody prayed. Somebody told me the truth. And I learned about him. Somebody saw me and ministered to me. Church, we got to do this. The world needs the church. Not some fake facsimile of the church. The real church. And when I'm talking about that, I'm not talking about the gospel chapel. I'm talking about real believers. That's all. Whoever, wherever they are. And there are real believers in a lot of congregations today. And we need to rise up. So finally, I suggest to us, let's make this a little more personal. Let's follow Jesus. Love him back. He loves you. Love him back. Go after God. In these days, if there's ever a time, you're going to seek after the filling of the Holy Spirit. Do it now. You need the filling of God's Holy Spirit in you. You need Him to empower you. If there's ever a time for you to grow in Christ, do it. Do it now. Do what it takes. Refuse to play games anymore with your relationship with God. Get serious about pursuing God. Put the Lord first. Put his agenda ahead of yours. Learn how to pray fervently. It breaks my heart how many people only say prayers. A believer should never say a prayer. We should pray. There's a world of difference. We don't need to chant some kind of incantation to God. We need to pour our hearts out before the Lord. So learn to pray. Learn to pray fervently. You can if you want to. Put him first. Seek his face all the time. Get away from things that are distracting you if, it, if you're being distracted. And stop deliberately sinning against the Lord. Worship Him wholeheartedly. When you worship, when you have a chance, be with God's people and you worship Him, worship Him. Make Him your everything. And refuse to be with the Laodicean believers who became lukewarm and not believers. Don't be lukewarm towards God. Go after him with everything you are. Listen, that's the response that needs to happen within our church. We don't have time anymore, church, to mess around. We just don't. Andrew, you can come. We don't. We, we've reached the precipice. And things are about to get really serious. I'm not saying this to you to scare you into following God. I, I, I hope that's not how I'm coming off. I'm saying this to you so that you know the truth of the word of God. Because fear is not a good motivator for following God. Love is. Learn to love him. Discover how loving he is. You know what I love about him? How merciful he is. I don't deserve anything from God. I don't. But he is merciful. And he has been a forgiving father to me. And he has freed me from the grip of sin. And I give him credit for that. I didn't do a thing but run to him and say, I need you. I need you. And he says, don't be afraid last words of this big book that we're looking out in the Bible the very last part of it the spirit and the bride say come 
Let those who are weary come. And his invitation to you this moment is come. So if you don't have a right relationship with God, listen, I want to take a moment and give you an opportunity here this morning to step into right relationship with God. So I am going to have what the church is used to have all the time. It's called an altar call. I'm going to have you stand in just a few moments. I'm going to invite you to come forward and let us pray with you. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, today is a day that you can do that. And I want to call on you, believers, and say to you that there's a spot up here for you to come and say, Lord, I want to be responding the way you want me to respond. I want to be real in my relationship with you. I want to be right with you. I want to be red hot in my love for you. And if you find that you need to just come and recommit to that, then then please step forward and do it. Will you rise to your feet? We're not singing. We're not doing anything. I'm just going to wait a few seconds, honestly, for you to respond. Here's what I believe. I don't need to stand up here and beg and coerce and try to walk out and drag you up here. That's not who I am. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm simply going to wait about 20 seconds. And I'm going to allow you, if you feel like you need to come forward for prayer, I'm going to be here to pray with you. And others will join you, I am sure of that. If you're coming to receive Christ, we'll pray with you to do that and help you. If you're coming to, to, to rededicate yourself to live for Christ and not get swept up with this world's, uh, well, with the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, and you want to just be hot for God, then you can come forward. So we're bowing our heads, we're closing our eyes so we don't bother anyone. And if you'd like, step out right now, make your way up here so we can pray together. You can, you can kneel, you can sit in these chairs, whatever you like to do, and you just want to come. You just want to pray. You're not here meeting me. You're meeting with the Lord. He is present today.